If it's nerdy, we're into it. Gaming, movies, television, wrestling, comics, whatever. We are Kyle Eckert and Chris Heck, two lifelong friends with a passion for the world of geekery. And this is the Geek Catch-Up Podcast. Welcome back, Geek Catch-Up family. I'm Chris Heck. And I'm Kyle Eckerd. You're listening to Season 2 of the Geek Catch-Up Podcast, and this is Chapter 20. Today it's all about pro wrestling as we're going to play the first edition of Question Roulette and discuss some of our favorites from the history of the squared circle. Prior to jumping into that, though, we want to take a moment, as always, to say thank you for listening and to send our appreciation your way for spending time with us. If you've enjoyed Geek Catch-Up, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you get every one of our new chapters and help spread the love for the world of geekery. Please share us with your friends and family. And if you haven't already, be sure to follow us on social media, Geek Catch-Up Podcast on Facebook and YouTube, at Geek Catch-Up Pod on Twitter and Instagram, and links to all of these accounts are available on our website, geekcatchuppodcast.com. There's even a link to our Patreon page if you'd like to support the show. So I mentioned at the beginning that we will be playing a game that we're calling Question Roulette. And essentially what that means is that we've got 30 questions spanning a wide variety of wrestling-related topics that we're going to use Google to randomly choose. We will alternate who answers the questions and then likely have a little bit of reaction or discussion about what those answers are. We've also posed some questions to the community, that Geek Catch-Up community. We love you guys so much over the past week, and we may share some of your responses as well. Before we get started, though, we want to take a few minutes to share our personal stories about how we became wrestling fans and how far back our fandoms go. So yeah, Chris, uh, my fandom goes back to around when I was four, five, six years old with my brother and my cousin, and that was all back in the Hulk Macho Man days. My big fandom back then was for the Rockers, for Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. I just loved the energy that they brought to the ring. And then I got a little older, obviously, and and got a little wiser and more hip to the game and wrestling. And that was the start of the raw raw years into the Attitude Era. Uh, We got a little older. I think we were around 9, 10, 11 years old. We started our own wrestling company, for lack of a better word, with Mountain Terrace Wrestling. Represent MTW. MTW, MTW, (laughs) shout out. Then I I took a couple years off, you know, through high school. I, I watched through high school and then basically between college and the starting of my career work years, I, I took away, stepped away from wrestling a little bit. And I'd say around 2010, 2012-ish, we all got back together and went to a Raw show in D.C. Yep. We sat in those nosebleed seats, <laughs> but it was still a ton of fun and it got us all back into wrestling and our little group of friends. And since that time, it's pretty much been totally hooked and Got the network, started watching pay-per-views, started going to shows, house shows, pay-per-views, more Rawls. And I think ever since that point, like, I haven't really looked back. So it started in the 80s with that classic and then definitely a 90s, 2000 wrestler watch, like wrestling watcher. And then now it's just keeping up with the modern times. Yeah, there's so much wrestling to watch now. Oh, it's crazy. It's there's like 20 hours a week if you try to do it all. (laughs) I think I started around the same time, you know, that four or five. Uh, I know for sure that wrestling clearly starts with one of my grandmothers for me. My earliest memories I have of watching it are with her in the early 90s. Probably a WCW show because she was a huge American Dream fan. And I think Dusty at the time in the early 90s was in the WCW. But we'd always watch it on Saturdays because I'd be over there on Saturdays. 
And this was also back during the time when it was very common to tape wrestling shows and then watch them later. Right. So I couldn't tell you if it was a specific, you know, Saturday morning wrestling show or Saturday night special or because there have been a variety of Saturday wrestling shows from the different companies throughout the years or if it was just something that she had taped. But we would sit down. She she would always get super excited anytime uh, Dusty Rhodes came on. And then, of course, because of some of that classic rivalry between Dusty and Ric Flair, she hated Ric Flair because he was the ultimate heel. (laughs) And, you know, the other thing was that at that time, it wasn't really as common knowledge that, you know, wrestling was scripted. Yeah. So I think she's definitely one of those people that probably got caught up into, like, you know, these rivalries are real. Yeah. And Ric Flair is a terrible guy, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. But it really transferred over to me. Um, and then, as you said, kept watching as we got older. We are, are definitely children of the Attitude Era, so yeah. we got that prime rivalry between WCW and WWE, um, the Monday Night Wars that just fueled everything, you know, glued to the TV <laughs> on Wednesday nights, glued to the TV on Thursday nights for Thunder and the original SmackDown. Sunday Night Heat. Sunday Night Heat, yeah. Yeah, all of it. Oh, yeah, you had to know what was going on at that time because it was all so important, really, you know? like yeah. And being kids, you know, we still had kind of the blurred lines, right? What's real, what's not? And so it was just a good time to really get sucked into wrestling. But uh, as you mentioned, as we moved into college, obviously priorities change. Got a lot more going on, so wrestling was on the back burner. Didn't really have cable yeah. at the time, you know, when you're in college. So all of that adds up to a little bit of a break and and then we hit that roll right before WrestleMania 30. Yeah. I'll never forget because it opened with the doom of The Undertaker. Yeah, The Taker. Yeah, it, it set the stage for what would be the next 10 years almost for us. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it was right around the time they dropped the network, which we were kind of early adopters of. And, and it just completely reignited the passion for the sport, for the wrestlers, for the spectacle. And um, and then now, you know, now that it's been, what, seven, eight years later, we've been to more shows than we've ever gone to live. You know, we see more pay-per-views than we ever did with the network being available. Uh, we've got AEW now. So it's just an exciting time. And, you know, it's not for everybody, but for us, for whatever reason, it's stuck. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And some of my fondest memories of being that Attitude Era kid is us doing backyard wrestling with Mountain Terrace Wrestling, with MTW. And we should point out, Chris and I are several tag team champions, MTW tag team champions. The Republic. The Republic. That was our (laughs) tag team name. It was Chris Rogue and Ace Magic. Most feared in all of Myersville. That's true. It's true. Couldn't handle this. Couldn't handle this. We should also point out there was only like five of us. It's true. So belts rotated often, and there was a lot of heel turns and babyface turns and tag teams turning on each other just because there was only five of us. And <laughs> we stuck to the formula that there was still going to be four belts. So at, at any point, you could hold all the belts or you could everyone would have a belt, whether it was a tag team, lightweight. We, I'm pretty sure we had a heavyweight and an intercontinental. I know there was definitely a hardcore because we destroyed a lot of stuff around the neighborhood and the houses. That's true. Getting a little rowdy from that end. 
Yeah, I'm still grounded from the holes that we've put in the wall at my dad's house. That is that is still, a, you know, it's a lifelong grounding from, what did you all do here? Uh, don't don't worry about it, Dad. You looked like you put somebody's head through a wall. That is definitely... It was a pay-per-view. Not what happened. Yeah, it was a pay-per-view. It was a hardcore match. We had to go big. You don't understand. The crowd needs it. The crowd wants it. We're committed to our fans. So yeah, as you can see, we got all wrapped up in our life of MTW. It was good times. <laughs> I actually, well, looking back on it, I'm kind of bummed that I stopped watching wrestling in college a little bit because of where I went to school for college. They had a ton of WWE shows come through. A lot of house shows came through the Salisbury area. Gotcha. I just wasn't watching wrestling at the time, so I never went. And that's one thing I'm like, oh man, I wish I had stuck with wrestling because I would have had the opportunity to go to a lot of cheap wrestling shows when I was in college, but oh well. Yeah, you know, college, it's about partying, chasing girls, doing the studies. Yeah. That's just how it goes. It's true. It's true. Well, I think it's time we should get started with our questions, and remember to keep in mind that the answers here can come from any promotion or era of wrestling. We aren't limiting this discussion by just WWE or the 90s era, unless it's specified by the question. So we're going to start things off with Chris getting the first question. Let's go ahead and fire up that randomizer. All right, let's see what Google has for us. The first question is going to be number 28. Number 28, and that on our list is the best wrestler's tagline. Ooh, this was really difficult to come up with. I I sat and thought about this one maybe longer than any of the others because there's been so many, and it's really hard. You're like splitting hairs, really, on what you like here. I chose to go with Bret Hart, the best there is, the best there was, and the best, the best there ever, there ever will, will, be. will be. Heck yeah. yeah, I'm wearing a Bret Hart shirt right now. <laughs> I am. I am. I'm wearing it right now. It says that right on the front. I love it. Love this answer. Love Bret Hart. Heck yeah. That, that's a good one. That's a good one. I, it really just came back to me. It may not be quite the catchiest. It might not be something that's going to trend on Twitter these days. But when you look at wrestling and, you know, the machismo and the intensity that all kind of comes with that, the arrogance that most top wrestlers have, best there is, best there was, best there ever will be is is what it is for me. It's iconic. That's a good one. That's a good one. And there's a lot of really good ones out there to choose from. So many solid taglines from the different wrestlers over the age. Uh, can't, But I can't argue. It's memorable. It might be something he's, you know, that and one other, you know, move. Is kind of what Bret Hart, you know, when, when somebody says, oh, Bret Hart, like it's the ta- it's the tagline. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and his signature move. So I no arguments here. That's a good choice. For sure. All right. Well, let's keep it going here. Let's see what the first question is going to be for you, Kyle. All right. We got number 11. Ooh, number 11. It's going to be a dream match. What would be your ultimate dream match? So one thing that you'll probably pick up on here today, I like tag team wrestling. Mm. So my favorite, my dream match of all time uh, is a tag team match that pits the Rockers against the Hardy Boys in a tag team ladder match. 
Whoa now. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. You know, A, like the choice of tag team because you almost never see that in these scenarios when we come up with a dream match. Bravo there for being original, but you got that's a lot there. You got Shawn Michaels, the king of the ladder match, hiding there into the rockers. So you've got pretty much three of the best ladder match competitors of all time. And then Marty Jannetty. But <laughs> Marty Jannetty. Or Marty Jannetty. <laughs> but that is super cool. Who do you think would win? I think in the end, Shawn Michaels would turn on Marty Jannetty, maybe throw his head <laughs> through a window, and then that would allow Matt and Jeff Hardy to get the victory. No, but I do think the Hardy boys, because it would come down to they are the tag team ladder match specialists. Yep. You know, they basically invented that match. So I think in the end, they would win. But I thought it would be a perfect match, a lot of high energy. You've, you've kind of almost matching styles where it is that high-flying, high-energy style yeah. with you know equal weight. So you could do a lot of lift power moves as well as high-flying moves on the, from the top rope. You've got you know Jeff trying to kill himself, Shawn Michaels <laughs> dropping the elbow uh, from the top rope. Marty Jannetty has a little power to him. Matt Hardy, obviously, when you're looking at Matt and Jeff Hardy together, Matt Hardy was kind of the the stronger of the two because he, he he did all the ground moves and the lifting. Yeah. He was the the body splash on the finisher while Jeff dropped the leg drop. I just think I just think it would be very entertaining, high energy. Wouldn't have to go long, 15, 20 minutes of just pure mayhem. And I, and I think from the two eras, that was another thing for me, is these are two tag teams that defined tag team wrestling for their era. And we really never got to see see them interact because Janetti right. fell off. You know, Janetti fell off, but then uh, Matt and Jeff Hardy would have been too young for them to be any crossover. Right. So that that would be my ultimate dream match. I thought it'd be pretty sweet. Yeah, they split Shawn Michaels off into his solo career pretty quickly there in the '90s. You know, they had their run early and got established, but then they they split them apart and got Shawn going on his own path pretty much. You know, as soon as they could. And he was the better wrestler of the two, although Marty Jannetty was my favorite. <laughs> you know, I actually preferred Marty Jannetty when I was a kid and I was a big fan of the Rockers. I, I thought, I don't know why, uh, you know, Shawn Michaels clearly ended up being the bigger wrestler, <laughs> but I preferred Marty Jannetty when they were a tag team. Yeah, you know, that's how it goes. So let's move it on here. Hit that randomizer. What question we have going Chris's way? It was a great start so far. Next up is going to be number 17. 17. Oh, continuing the trend of tag teams. Number 17 is your favorite tag team. Yeah, it's an interesting transition. It's like Google knows what's going on here. Right? This was another tough one, and I was struggling between some of the really impressive high flyers of the modern era, because I think that we are seeing some really good tag teams like the Young Bucks, uh, Private Party, Street Profits. Um, that are showing all the promise in the world. But it's also a different form of tag team wrestling that we see today. It's a lot more about the big spots and things like that. Yeah, Some of sure. the singles, technical um, wrestling aspects that used to be more prevalent don't always make it into the matches, you know. But ultimately, for me, this is one of those ones that I had to go back to the 80s and 90s. And for me, favorite tag team of all time is the Road Warriors. Ooh, nice. Yeah, I- iconic. That That's, yeah, I want an iconic tag team, the Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal. Wow. Yeah, they were one of my favorite 
wrestlers, wrestling duos, tag teams, whatever you want to say as a kid, you know, you can't get past it. The intensity, the face paint, hardcore, you know, screaming promos, and then the big spiky football pads. I mean, they had the look, they had the character, they had all the skills, and then in in the ring they were just ruthless. Yeah, and in they were built around hardcore power and these big big moves. But then you saw them do things like the Doomsday Device and some top rope stuff. And really, in an era where if you were a big man, you really weren't doing anything off the top rope. Yeah, you didn't go up there. That was you know uncharted territory for big guys. Exactly. So, I mean, they had everything that you're looking for, you know, the complete package in wrestlers and and then just throw on top of that that they that they got rewarded for it. You know, every single promotion or territory they went to, they won gold. Yeah. And they were the top team for as long as they were there. And then they moved on to the next market to conquer. Yeah. So can't say enough about them. You know, I know that the ending with what happened with Hawk and and some of that was not as uh, illustrious and exciting, but I don't think that any of that takes away from all of the groundbreaking and road laying that they did for everybody to come behind them. Oh, 100%. And I love hearing the the behind-the-scenes stories about uh, LOD. Absolutely love it, that they came into each territory, they were just brute force. And they, they did a real physical style of wrestling that it, we talked about blurring the lines, but, but what's real, what's scripted. You can't deny when those like horses are in the ring that that is real contact and oh, like, yeah. real danger. And they're actually beating the <laughs> crap out of each other. Um, and it, it's like that's what it's all about is bringing that realism or like suspending de- belief yep. for a little bit in the watcher. And LOD absolutely had that. Uh, iconic tag team and i don't think anyone would be able to argue with them being a top three tag team of all time for sure all right we're gonna keep it moving here next up google is taking us to question 16 so for question 16 here kyle we've got favorite wrestler of the current or modern era this one was a little difficult for me it came down to two names and ultimately i went with AJ Styles. Okay, yeah, that's hard to argue. Yeah, I'll admit there was another name out there. Seth Rollins was my other one, uh, but when I really sat and thought about it, it was it was AJ Styles from his his career. Obviously, he was an Impact and he did his New Japan stuff, but most of what I know AJ Styles from is his WWE run. And I'm sure, sure there's plenty of people that want to say, well, his best stuff was before WWE, and then I would just be, well, that even cements this more for me because his (laughs) wwe run has been really good oh yeah uh he's had maybe a missed spot or two where they kind of put him in a weird angle but from his debut at the rumble uh you know with all the rumors and skipping nxt he debuted at the rumble and then he led the charge on smackdown right after the brand split yep i think he's got great charisma you know i'm a sucker for the smaller guys that do the top rope stuff but yeah he clearly has some power you know he he can do some suplexes and some other moves but i like the way he utilizes his body with like the phenomenal forearm and the various ground submissions he's got the calf crusher right. which he hasn't he hasn't brought that out in a while but i just really think aj styles is the total package he speaks well on the mic delivers great promos always has quality 
in-ring matches. They've paired him up with big guys, small guys, medium guys. He had a barn burner with Brock Lesnar. And and I'm thinking if this guy can really go toe-to-toe with anyone, John Cena, Brock Lesnar, and then at the same time, some of your your smaller mid-tiers, Baron Corbin, I think he had a beef with Jericho for a moment as well. Yep. Like, he's just the total package. And for where it stands right now, uh, if you had to say, like, you get to watch one match tonight, I want that one match to be AJ Styles' match. Yeah, he's proven that he can work with anybody. He is one of the most consistent wrestlers that that we've seen, at least in a long time, as far as almost every single match is going to be top-notch, well-executed, exciting. He's a great storyteller. He can cut promos with the best of them. And the one thing I think I would say, kind of as you were talking that I was thinking about, is that being a slightly smaller guy, he's one of those dudes that kind of transcends that because sometimes the look will detract from the believability of somebody being in, say, the world heavyweight title picture, right? The top tier with the biggest guy. Because wrestling is just a sport, especially traditionally, that the big guys are king. Yeah. But but with AJ, you don't really ever think about the fact that he's a small guy because he can do the full move set because he's doing so much in his matches and keeping them so active. You know, he doesn't strike you as like, oh, this is a, a cruiserweight. Like it's not Rey Mysterio versus the big show. Right. Or anything like that. Like you just it just feels like AJ is toe to toe with anybody even though he may be, you know, six inches shorter than, like, The Undertaker or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, 100%. And that, that's, like, the, the divide between he probably is 210, 215 weight-wise. Yeah. So he's just over that 205 cruiserweight limit that WWE has, but he's never felt like a cruiserweight. Right. When he matches up, he had that match against Undertaker at Mania last year, and that was believable the entire time. Taker's damn near a foot taller than him, way heavier, way stronger, but you never felt like AJ was outmatched. And for me, it really comes down to use of his body. He knows how to throw his body weight around and get every inch and every pound that he brings to the table he's utilizing in his matches. So For sure. Best current modern era? Absolutely AJ Styles. Good stuff. Crank up the randomizer, see where we're going with Chris. All right, guys, that's uh, question number nine. Number nine. Ooh, favorite storyline. <laughs> this, this was a toughie. Your favorite storyline in the history of wrestling. This one, yeah, this one was definitely tough and, and was one of the only ones that I truly had a couple of different answers at different times. <laughs> yeah. But I will say that I settled in on Sting stalking Hogan and the NWO in the late 90s. You know, after those initial couple years of of Hollywood Hogan and Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, you know, running rough shot over WCW, completely taking it over, they started that storyline where, you know, because Sting had been gone the whole time. Yep. And Sting was a very babyface character, he had bright colors, fun face paint. You know, he was pretty much WCW, say your prayers, take your vitamins. And then when he shows back up, they just were so masterful in the storytelling. They went with darker imagery, darker tones. Sting 
didn't say a word for like a year yeah. on any promotion, but it was like he was saying everything he needed to in the actions that he had. Um, like it was just must see TV. Yeah. And I remember, you know, even being more of a WWE fan at the time, like constantly switching the channel over to Nitro or Thunder yeah. just to see if Sting was going to show back up because they were slow playing it so well that it was like, you know, what was going to happen? What was going to be that next step in this controversy, the next conflict, you know? He spent all that time in the rafters, and then and it evolved to him coming down out of the ceiling with baseball bats and just beating the shit out of anybody in the ring, you know? Just Oh, yeah. The whole thing, and I think it captivated the wrestling world, you know, again. You know, even with everything else that was going on with the Monday Night Wars, um, and I think maybe Goldberg was maybe starting to show up in some of that. You know, there were still a lot of other things going on that was important to wrestling, but... To me, looking back on it, that was probably my favorite storyline. Um, this is one of the few maybe where I'll say a couple of honorable mentions here. It was really hard for me to to not choose the Kane Undertaker, you know, introduction uh, of Kane brother yeah, the, the brothers, storyline. Yeah. Because for me as a huge Taker fan as a kid, and that was really dark and kind of hard to, you know, yeah. truly know true or not at the time. You had Inferno matches in there. You had Buried Alive matches. like Casket matches. Yeah. Ca- yeah, it was a very dark t- uh, story as well for WWE. And then I'll throw this out here just because it, I think these are some important ones to talk about. But our friend Anthony, who I had shot our list over just for some feedback from yet another lifelong wrestling fan, uh, he chose Stone Cold versus Mr. McMahon. Oh, that's a good one, too. I mean... All, all three of those, and we're really focusing on the Sting and the Stone Cold, those are era-defining, promotion-defining storylines. Like, yeah. That's like the one thing. When, when people talk about Stone Cold, they're like, oh, man, Stone Cold versus Mr. McMahon, the, the working man versus the boss. And then Sting, the Sting versus the NWO storyline is the height of WCW for me. Yep. Maybe it isn't ratings-wise, but memory-wise, those are the images, yeah. Like Hulk Hogan, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash in the ring, looking up at Sting and the rafters. Being terrified, yeah. (laughs) Being terrified, not knowing, the lights going out, him appearing, pointing the baseball bat. Like he had that crow vibe with with the white face and the black hair. And you're right, the transition from... The blonde hair, bright colors, flat top to the shoulder length hair, all black, you know, face paint completely covering his face. Like it totally reinvented Sting. Yeah. For me and for a lot of people our age, I would imagine. Arguably one of the best character changes probably wrestling's ever seen. Oh, I yeah. mean, like it was right up there with Hogan going from Hulk Hogan to Hollywood Hogan, you know? Yeah, yeah. And coming in as WCW savior, because he really was the last WCW. You know, there was a few DDP, Booker T, sure. But the the WCW holdouts that didn't turn and go NWO, like Sting was the savior. Yeah, for sure. It was very superhero vibe in a way. Yeah. Like looking back on it, you know, him versus the impossible task of, of overcoming what the NWO had become at that time. Yeah. Yeah, it was I I put a lot of time sitting down and really just thinking back like personally like what is some of the most, you know, iconic stuff that sticks out in my mind. I think that that really takes the cake. No arguments here. 
just nostalgia for all the right reasons. All right, next up for you, Kyle, we got uh, question 15. This is kind of interesting because you got favorite wrestler of the current modern era, and now Google's throwing you favorite wrestler of the 1990s slash, you know, 2000s. Interesting. They, Google just wants me to define who my favorite wrestler of all time is. <laughs> and this is another one that came down to two for me, and it, it was very hard. And it's honestly, it's because there are two sides of the same coin, I think. But Bret Hart. Bret Hart is absolutely my favorite 1990, like 90s, 2000s. I know he's probably more leaning 80s, 2000s, or 80s, 90s than 90s, 2000s. It's more like the favorite wrestler of the retro area we could or era we could call it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's so it's just Bret Hart, like, and it, it's interesting in the years since, and there's so many documentaries have come out, and you kind of see Bret Hart behind the scenes. It has watered him down a little bit for me. Sure. For whatever reason, he just seems like he's just a constantly burned person that feels <laughs> like the company got the better of him, and and he couldn't fight back. And maybe that's true to some extent, but. Memory wise and just technician, his in ring ability, which it goes so far for me, is just what it's all about. He's so smooth and everything he did, he made look so good. Iconic finisher, iconic tagline, as we already said. I really enjoyed his ring gear with the the black and the pink. He was one of the first wrestlers to like wear pink and own pink. Yeah. Obviously he came from a tag team origins with the Heart Foundation. And as a longtime tag team wrestling fan, I enjoyed his tag team work with like Anvil Neidhart and everything there. But he just he was the baby face, the true baby face where he came down to the entrance ramp and he gave his sunglasses away to a kid. Like, honestly, that was something I always dreamed I wanted to happen. I was like, I want to be in the front row yeah. of a show <laughs> and I want Bret Hart to give me his sunglasses and I get to look at the camera and be like, eh, the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. Right. So like. You know, every video game that he was ever in, he was my go-to. Like, Royal Rumble back in the SNES days, Raw in the SNES days, whenever we play retro stuff. You know, the sharpshooter is, like, my my go-to. Like, one of my go-to finishers whenever I'm doing a create a character. So, it, it's just Bret Hart. He, he's just a masterful technician in the ring. Maybe not so great on the mic and definitely started to falter as he got older in his career. But when it's prime Bret Hart, I, I, there's no one else for me. Yeah. I mean, Brett definitely gets a bad rap today and he has earned some of that. Yeah. You know, there's no arguing that with all that the wrestling community knows at this point in time. But I think that anybody who would overlook him and his body of work there from the late eighties into the mid nineties, kind of the start of the attitude era is, is absolutely foolish because it's one of the best bodies of work that we've ever seen and we will ever see in a wrestling ring. I mean, you got to think about a few things, right? The pressure that was on him from the lineage of his family and the amount of people around him wrestling was insane. Yeah. Then you come and he not only uh, lives up to that, but he goes to the biggest wrestling promotion in the world and he follows the footsteps of the immortal Hulk Hogan yeah. as the biggest baby face in wrestling. And he does it pretty much flawlessly. Yeah. You know, he had fans and kids eating out of his hands. He was the ultimate baby face 
until, you know, they started to shift that with the Heart Foundation down, you know, kind of the Heart Foundation 2.0. Yeah. The stables and everything, the feud with Michaels and DX. Well, it was a shift in attitude, for lack of right. a better word. You know, the, the industry changed, and he was, you know, old potatoes at that point. He came from the 80s era, where it is, eat your vitamins, be a good person, right. you know, say your prayers, all that jazz. So he came from that era, and that was his vibe. But yeah, you're right. The passing of the mantle from Hawk Hogan, like, wow. And, and he did it. You're right. He did it successfully. He did it well. Um, and, and I would have liked to have seen it last longer, but... He he also gave me one of my favorite uh, rivalries of all time. So, well, and think about this too: is like Bret Hart was also so good in the ring that he could make anybody look good. But most wrestling fans pretty much have to thank Bret Hart for the true creation of Stone Cold Steve Austin after the infamous, you know, pass out bloody in the sharpshooter moment that really put Stone Cold over. And and even Michaels, like Michaels was over, but the feud that he had with Brett and the Montreal screw job and everything sent him skyrocketing, you know, and and he'd already had some big moments. So I think it was maybe a little bit less for Sean than it was for Stone Cold because, you know, Austin at the time was kind of a throwaway. Yeah. Like, take him or leave him when he was a ringmaster and all of that. You know, he was kind of plain. Jam- yeah. Hadn't found his groove yet. Right. So, you know, I, I, I can't, I think it's, he's one of the best that ever existed. Yeah. And I said, he, he, he didn't age well, but in his prime and the, the attributes that he has that you can give to him, the accolades, they're all there. So, and he's still studied as one of the best wrestlers, you know, up and comers cite Bret Hart as an in-ring master that they want to model themselves after. Yeah, his his impact on wrestling will be felt for many generations to come. Yep. Let's keep it rolling here. Hit that randomizer. See where we're going with Chris. Ooh, it's going to take us a little earlier up the list to number three. This one is a doozy. Your favorite finisher of all time. Yeah, man, we did not make this easy on ourselves when we put together this list of questions, no, did we? No, <laughs> some of these are hard. Like, and, and you're thinking, oh, I've got the answer, but then... When you sit and you really think about all the different finishers that are out there that are available to you, submissions, like suplexes, power bombs, top rope moves, it's loaded and you, it, it's difficult to narrow it down to just one. So on this one, if you had to guess what I'm going to say, what would you think it would be? Uh, I, I know that you are a big Taker fan, so I, I would feel maybe the Tombstone because like it's just it's Taker or... Maybe even the stunner because of the explosiveness of the stunner. Sure. But where did you go with it? I I actually have always had a very uh, big spot in my heart for the Razor's Edge. Ah, okay. Yeah, I mean, the crucifix powerbomb, the Razor's Edge, however you want to say it. That is, oh, it's it's awesome. I, I, I really do like power moves. I've always been the, a big, big fan of the big explosive power moves in wrestling. They're probably my favorite, you know, type of move um, out of everything we've seen. But really, ever since I was a kid, and even to this day, I know we don't see them very often anymore. The crucifix power bombs, razor's edges, they're a little dangerous, I would assume. Yeah. But it has always been one of my favorite moves. And when you add in what Razor Ramon would do, 
just it kind of had the whole shebang, right? So yeah, he sets you up in that power bomb uh, starter position, head between the legs, but he doesn't go right into the move. You know, he's gonna throw in the taunt, yeah, the machismo. He's gonna throw the arms out. You know, and and it's just like, and sometimes he was so good at dragging that out, you know, and making you just eat it. Like, give it to him, you know, give it to him. Yeah. Pulls him up, puts him in that crucifix position, and then slams him down on the back of their neck slash upper spine. You know, it just seemed like something that would hurt. Oh, yeah. It was a very believable move as a finisher for pro wrestling. And so it's just been one of those ones that's always stayed real close to the top of my list, and that's what I had to go with here. It's a solid pick, and the believability that it could actually hurt someone if you delivered it to them is what makes it such a quality, quality move. I have a very personal uh, story with the Crucifix Powerbomb. <laughs> as, as we've said a few times, we had a childhood wrestling promotion in our neighborhood. Someone went to give me a Crucifix Powerbomb at one point and couldn't hold my weight. And dropped me on a door hinge, so I have a nice, mm. nice little scar on my knee where I got a few stitches after. Never forget that after getting dropped <laughs> on a on a door hinge because of that. So when I think of that move, you know, obviously it's the Razor Ramon and the arms out and the cockiness, and I that's a very iconic move in the SNES Royal Rumble video game. It freezes the game a little bit, mm-hmm. like and it's like, and you can't really interrupt it, so it just kind of happens. But whenever I think about this move, I think about, oh, yeah, the day I got dropped on a door hinge. Like, <laughs> there was blood everywhere. His knee was, was broken in half. That ah, was awful. <laughs> Jim see- Ross was calling it from the, from the bathroom. Yeah. Oh, somebody, <laughs> somebody got to call the damn match. Yeah. It was, oh, saw the kneecap that day. It was, there was all sorts of stuff going on. So solid pick. And like I said, believability could actually hurt somebody because, yeah, I'm living proof of that, that it actually hurt somebody. (laughs) Wrestling is real. Don't try this at home, kids. We did not listen to any of those warnings. Yeah, not at all. We were (laughs) jumping off ladders and sofas and landed on hardwood, rocks. Yeah. I think we had some consistency with some of the the big big moves because i know another one here that i'll share from anthony was he had the tombstone as his favorite finisher which i always appreciate because of the the taker nod but i actually like his honorable mention a little bit more he put in here uh the pump handle slam from test from test okay okay and i thought that was an interesting callback yeah that is interesting see and i associate that move oh but that's not i met johnson you're right, that is test. I was thinking Ahmed Johnson did that move, but he had the Pearl River plunge. The Pearl River plunge. Double underhook like, power bomb. Yep. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah. That's actually a good one. I, I remember for a while I really enjoyed that move. But the Razor's Edge, I think, was a little flashier. Well, you said it's the it's the full thing where he brings his personality and his character into the move. Where like, you know, like you said, he throws you between the legs taunt you a little bit basically it's like not only am i about to finish you but i pretty much have you finished now yeah but i'm gonna deliver one final blow yeah he's the bad guy man you know oh yeah <laughs> hey yo all right let's see uh let's see what we got up next Ooh, didn't go too far it just went up to number four favorite guilty pleasure of wrestling so out of all the things that happen in wrestling some good some bad some ridiculous what is the thing that you like the most that yeah, maybe you kind of don't like that you like it, but you like it? So it's interesting, you know, Google might actually know where we're headed with this because we're talking about how Razor Ramon would taunt you a little bit before he finished you off. 
And my favorite guilty pleasure when it comes to wrestling, and this might be a little abstract, is theatrics for theatrics sake. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like really when wrestlers just do the total over the top selling, that makes no sense. And, you know, I'll, I'll give him the shout out when Ric Flair gets hit and does the and like the drunken stumbles and then falls over oh, yeah. and, and things like that. <laughs> or when you when two wrestlers get into chop offs. For no reason, they, they you know everything breaks down and they just start chopping each other in the chest yeah. until one person can't take it anymore. I, I really, it's one of my favorite parts of wrestling, and it's actually part of the hokier parts of wrestling, which is why I call it a guilty pleasure because somebody's going to watch it and roll their eyes and be like, "Really, right, really?" Right. Like because it, it kind of breaks the fourth wall a little bit as far as is it real? Is it sport? Like you know, what is it? <laughs> what comes to mind specifically is like when rock would take stunners from stone cold <laughs> yes and he would literally do like three backflips you know over just over the top like you know yeah fly across the ring like he he would always oversell the stunner but it was just it was just so funny like it was just so good yeah they, exactly that moment you know shout out to Dolph ziggler because he has a very similar way when he sells a move flops all over the ground looks dead or, you know, when they receive a big move, they like basically they look like they're knocked out on the mat with their mouth open, like tongue out, like <laughs> like one of those. So it, it's just it's hokey and it's stupid. And it reminds you that it is a bit of a circus sideshow. But it's one of the things that I've always really, really enjoyed is, like I said, theatrics just for theatrics sake. Yeah. Big entrances. Uh, Shawn Michaels zip lining down into WrestleMania with it, the pyro going off and the mirrors on his ring gear. Like I said, just over the top for no other reason to just be over the top. Yeah, showmanship. Showmanship. Yeah, right. There it is. Sports entertainment. Exactly. The entertainment is the key. All right. Next up here, it's taking us to question 21. Favorite backstage interviewer. Ah, this is the easiest question we can answer all night, because there's only one answer. <laughs> it really is. Mean! Woo! By God, Gene! Amen. Indeed. Mean Gene Erkelin <laughs> is, if anybody answers this question in any other way, don't try to tell me Kayla Braxton. Don't try to tell me Kevin Kelly. Don't try to tell me goateed Michael Cole. You are wrong. 100%. It's Mean Gene Erkelin. It's Mean Gene. 100%. Like, Shout out to the GOAT. Yeah, he is the GOAT of backstage interviews. And his interviews in the 80s were so iconic, you know, because he really got the character to come out of, you know, the guys that maybe didn't give the best interviews. Yeah. He drew it out of them. He developed them through the course of the interview. So 100%. And I always liked how he gave it so much uh, respectability. So, like, every time you saw Mean Gene, he was pretty much in a tux you know, like he looked like he was, you know, Michael Buffer or, you know, just some of the top tier guys that you would see in boxing or some of the other sports. But he would also ask questions sometimes that were, you know, almost like he was a reporter, like Dan Rather, you know, like he would grill somebody like, no, nah, you can't say that, you know, like that's a ridiculous claim. Like he would work some of those things in versus what you see a lot today with with it's just one question, one answer, okay, they move on, you know? Like, yeah. Mean Gene was a, a part of the show that people really cared about and wanted to see, whereas I don't think we quite get that as much in the last, you know, 20 years of, 
of wrestling. And I'm with you on that. I think of what they do now almost feels scripted and, and feels produced. Like they know what question is coming and they know what answer they have to give versus those interviews with Mean Gene. You don't know what's coming your way and you have to answer it in character. That is true. And you have to say it right. And one of those iconic interviews is with Sid Justice where he thought he was, it was a tape. He's like, oh, stop, reset. And Mean Gene's like, we're live, buddy. You know, like, and he just rolls with it and he really makes you stay in character. And, you know, if this is your job and you better be good at it or not, right. I'm going to grill you and I'm going to embarrass you in front of millions. Yeah, he was a constant professional. Constant, yeah, and the tux, you're right. With I kind of forgot that he was always, you know, dressed to the tens. The, the man could bring it. Well, and I will say this, seeing some of the backstage stuff, like with the networking, there's a lot of documentaries where they had like Legends House. Mean Gene kind of seems like a funny dude. Yeah. Like, yeah. you see, like he seems like he has a very laid back kind of humorous personality when he would do some of those things. And because he's not a big guy, yeah. you know, he's he's really like a tiny grandpa. You know what I mean? Yeah. But at the same time, like he just felt like he had a lot of life. And and all of that always came through the camera, I think. So none other than Gene Okerlund. Good old mean Gene. Like I said, if you have a different answer for this, fight me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's see what we got next here. Ooh, this might be our first question. Same question going back. Yes, so it took us to question number three again. So this one we're going to throw over to you for favorite finisher. Ah, favorite finisher. So I have always been a small guy, top rope, high flyer. So for me, favorite finisher is none other than the frog splash. Ooh, okay, okay. And all frog splashes. There's not like one in particular. Uh, I was about to ask if you had a, because there's a couple different styles we see with the frog splash. Yeah, like there's a few, but honestly, it's just the frogs. I like Sasha Banks's frog splash. Rey Mysterio had a good one. Uh, we've talked about it time and again. Montez Ford has an amazing frog splash. Oh, yeah. Kevin, Kevin Owens does one. It's okay. Um, but, I mean, Eddie Guerrero, if I had to actually pick one, it would be Eddie Guerrero's. Like the height, the distance, the full-on like NBA dunk contest between the <laughs> legs and then extending back up. The frog splash is is so iconic. Like I, I just have this image in my head of Eddie Grove flying through the air and just bulbs going behind him. <laughs> it's just it delivers big impact, kind of like what I said with AJ Styles, where a smaller guy can really throw their weight around. The frog splash delivers that for a a smaller wrestler. They can get the height and the release off the turnbuckle, and then full impact when they come down like with the with the body you know the the cross body and the stretch, and the stretch. yeah like so it, it's absolutely the frog splash and there's a couple honorable mentions there uh obviously like the shooting star press billy kidman Ooh. made that so iconic and a few others but I, i'm a sucker for top rope moves and there's there's no better top rope move than the frog splash that's a solid option. You know, it's one of those things that is is really simple because at the end of the day, it is really just a, a crossbody splash. But for whatever reason, the the movement of the arms and the legs kind of just takes it next level. You know, are they going to get fully extended after coming down? I think your comparison to a NBA dunk is perfect. Yeah. Because you see some of those same things happen with the 
with the way they would go into their pose, and then they got to quickly get the ball into the net. It's the same thing. And and Eddie and some of those guys, you'll see them, they'll drag it out. Yeah. So, like, they'll be in full frog mode with their legs out and the hands between the the thighs, you know, seemingly for seconds through the air. And then the last second, they'll do the full Superman extend and just smack the guy on the ground, you know? Yeah. And and so it kind of lets some people work in some different styles. And even though it's all the same move, it's one of those things where everybody has been able to kind of give it its own little twist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think of like KO. I knocked on his frog special. He does like a quick like like a, a quick dip. Yeah. You know, he doesn't he doesn't do the full extension. He doesn't leave his arms between his legs and his legs spread out for very long. He kind of just does a quick dip and then hits the splash versus, you know, Eddie, Montez Ford, Mysterio, they all get the real height. Yeah. And and then just, you know, hold the position until the very last moment. And then the impact, you get the, the hands slapping the mat, the knees slapping the mat. If you get a good sell, you get a ooh, like a belly to belly contact. His Eddie Guerrero's frog splash against Brock Lesnar to win the belt, to win the heavyweight belt, is a great one. Yeah. You know, flying through the air, the pictures. I think he wrote in on El Camino in that, <laughs> that mania or whatever it was. But, yeah, just the, the frog splash has just always been, when I was a wrestler, when I, when I was a wrestler, when I was a kid, in our MTW days, the frog splash was my finisher. Taking a lot of frog splashes off of couches. Right, yeah. Like <laughs> it, It's just one of those. And honestly, it's it's a relatively safe move. I say that like, you know, like I actually know. And, you know, never having done one off a six-foot turnbuckle, only <laughs> off a sofa or a chair. But, you know, it, it, it can be a relatively safe move, and but still look really good. Well, compared to a shooting star press where we saw like Brock Lesnar almost became a paraplegic, <laughs> yeah. you know, years ago when he landed literally on his neck. So I, I think you're probably, you're more right there than than wrong just because compared to like senton bombs and stuff, like how many of those have we seen where you look at him, you're like, Jeff Hardy might have just paralyzed himself. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he ends up pulling it off perfect. So he's totally fine. But I, I can't argue with that. I like the contrast between my power move and you go in top rope. I honestly didn't even have top rope kind of on my radar because I've just always got that affinity towards yeah. the big moves. But in its own way, that's a top rope power move. So Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of it for me goes into it's something I can do. There you go. As yeah. like a sm- As a smaller person, if I were to be a wrestler, what would my finisher be? I wouldn't be able to do the power bombs and the suplexes and things like that on the bigger guys, but I could drop an epic frog splash. That's true. All 172 pounds on them. Right? Soaking wet. <laughs> like, what up? All right, well, let's keep it going here. Probably got time for a couple more, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, let's see. Ooh, Google's going back. Question number one. Ooh, question number one. And this actually started our list because it's, you know, the the one. The iconic question, who is your favorite wrestler of all time? And this one is favorite male wrestler of all time. And uh, probably do not need to take too much time here because we all know the answer to this question for me. It is undoubtedly the dead man, the undertaker, start to finish through his career, giving all the versions, all the takers, and uh, he will forever, ever be my favorite male wrestler. I've said it before. I'll say it again. The man is tattooed on my arm prominently. It is important to me. So, Mark Calloway. Mark Calloway. <laughs> you know, Taker is is amazing. 
he's so good. He's so iconic, whether it is the Dead Man or Dead Man Inc. and the biker and then the return to form, you know, in the recent years. Dude has a 20 plus year long career. The streak is something that like everybody knows. He transcends. Taker is without a doubt one of the best wrestlers of all time. For a big man, he has a varied move set. Yep. You know, not a, not afraid to go to the top rope. He's been in a lot of great storylines over the years, whether it was his debut with Ted DiBiase at Survivor Series or in the Ministry of Darkness. Oh yeah, Ministry of Darkness, crucial. Yeah, Ministry of Darkness is like kind of like prime taker. Yeah. You know, where where he's at the peak, but even the corporate ministry or like I said, the Dead Man Inc. when he's riding in on the motorcycles. And then the later years, okay, he's had some he's had some stumbles, you know, in his fifty plus year old self where yeah. thinking of that match with Goldberg. I blame half of it on Goldberg. Yeah. At least. Yeah, so Maybe ha- more. Half of it, yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll, get, we'll call it seventy thirty. Seventy thirty. <laughs> the other 30 was the desert heat yeah right <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't taker's fault at it all it wasn't taker's fault it wasn't taker's fault no but it's, you know iconic look iconic speeches iconic storylines you know tombstone chokeslam iconic moves you know he's he's walking the wire he's the greatest character in wrestling history yeah i'll say it. there's no other better character more iconic character in my opinion than what the the Undertaker has become over the years. And he's owned it. And what a true professional that even it wasn't until he full on retired did he break kayfabe. That's true, right? Yeah, he was so hardcore into kayfabe. And we saw some of that on that documentary. Dude didn't get on Instagram until like last year. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of remarkable. Like, how does somebody in this day and age with social media, and, you know, everything we have going on, everyone has access to everything. Information is everywhere. And dudes still held kayfabe together. Yeah. Like, up until the point where WWE and Mark Calloway decided to give us that backstage peak, they kept it under wraps. And that is just impressive. Yeah, I was super excited when they did the documentary solely for that reason, because we've gotten WWE documentaries left and right over the years on so many of the biggest names that are out there, but there was very little to none made about the undertaker slash Mark Calloway. And the last thing I'll say just kind of on that point really was that when uh, a couple months back, when, when he did the interview on the stone cold podcast yeah, and they were just, you know, drinking whiskey and shooting the shit and telling stories I ate that up so much because I'm so interested in the guy. Like, I, I respect him. He's been a part of my life for so long. And it's like, I actually do want to know more about Mark Calloway because we've learned so much about, you know, the people behind a lot of the other characters throughout the years. So it was cool to see a glimpse. I'm glad they they gave us such a big kind of package to finish off Taker's career. Yeah. Maybe we'll see some more stuff in the future, but... They gave us a lot of that as he retired after Mania. And, you know, this summer we got the different episodes of the of the documentary and all of that. The Last Ride. I was trying to think of the name of it. Yeah, The Last Ride. Oh, no, it's it's good. And Taker, you're right. Best character in wrestling history. All right, let's see how many more we can squeeze in here, Kyle. So I'm going to hit it up. Oh, it's taking us to question 20. So let's see what we got here. Ah, it's kind of going along with, uh, like we were talking about with Backstage Interviewer. This one is, who is your favorite ringside announcer? 
This one was actually kind of tough because I was caught between nostalgia and, you know, a more modern person. And in the end, I went nostalgia. So modern person highlight because I thought she was amazing is Lillian Garcia. No doubt. Yep. I really like Lillian Garcia, but I had to go nostalgia and Howard Finkel. Ah, yeah. The Fink. He was there for so long. So, I mean, it's really hard to argue with that. He, he was right alongside Mean Gene for so long. Yeah. You know, and he just, it really came down to one thing. And I actually half quoted Howard Finkel at Chris's wedding. <laughs> so, like, I, you know, I was doing a, a little speech and I ended up with, uh, and new. Yeah. You know, yeah, one of those. And so that honestly was the breaking point where I was like, ah, these both are really good. I like them both. Uh, and it kind of contrasts in styles where, like, Lillian had the singing background and did the national anthem a time or two. Right. But in the end, I was like, that little tidbit where I'm, I'm realizing that how often do I subtly quote Howard Finkel without <laughs> thinking about Howard Finkel? It's like, it, it needs to be him with the, you know, and new world heavyweight champion of the world. You know, like, that's, yeah. you know, so, so it had to be him. Well, and think about it, you know, there's very few times throughout history that we get real storylines worked into TV for the announcers. And Lillian Garcia has actually had a few of them because she had been around for so long. But she joined and kind of came into the role with a feuding storyline with Howard Finkel. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, but when he was on his way out and retiring, they did this whole thing about how like Lillian was taking his place and he was getting pushed out. He did some different zaniness. Um, so, you know, he really showed how much that he had kind of transcended that role mm-hmm. because most people, it's just kind of like, who's the guy saying that? Yeah. Like, who is it? And, you know, now we know we got guys like Justin Roberts and a few others where we know them, but. I think it might be safe to say that if it wasn't for Howard Finkel, we wouldn't be paying attention to that aspect of wrestling. It's very possible. He made it a thing. Like, he he turned something just completely, what's the word I'm looking for? Just like pedestrian. It was just part of the show. Pedestrian. Exactly. There you go. Completely pedestrian to a part of the show. So, very cool answer there. All right. So, what are you thinking? I think we got time for uh, one more each. Yeah, we can do one more each. One more each because it's back to me. All right, let's see here. Number 29. 29. Oh, I like this question. This was a fun one to answer. And it is the best up-and-comer. So who who in the world of wrestling right now do you think is the best young gun in the game? So my initial thought here went tag team. Oh. But it's not where I landed. Okay. But I just, since we were talking about tag teams earlier. Shucks. Here, I thought we were going to get to talk tag teams again. Yeah, well, <laughs> briefly. So when I first looked at this, I my first thought was the Street Profits. And even though they're a little bit kind of gray area for being, quote, up-and-comers at this moment in time because they've been Raw champs for so long, they're still super young and they're still pretty fresh as far as, you know, how long they've really been on the main stage of wrestling. But they are awesome. They're hilarious. They've got all the skills. Mike characters shtick you know in ring so i was like man i was like uh, i was like i i think the street pop but but i the more i thought about it if i'm really thinking like best up and comer who i think may have one of the best skill like careers and longevity here i had to go mjf oh 
Yeah. MJF. I've turned him. Yeah, which if you think back like a year, I mean, like when we had some of those other conversations when AEW first came on, I was not, I called him Vanilla Pudding. You did, I was not on MJF at all. But over the last, you know, six months, the the Cody feud, the Jungle Boy matches, the match with uh, Moxley for the title. To say Moxley for the title was brutal. Right, and his heel work. You know, I really think that he, even though, like, his look, I think, hurts him a little bit. He's kind of a scrawny guy. I don't know if I believe him in the heavyweight title picture the same way we were talking about with AJ Styles from that. Like, that's one of the big knocks I still have on him, right? Okay. But his heel work is so strong that I think that he can actually use his in-ring skill set and heel work to overcome his size issues. And so I actually think that at some point we see MJF have a very long Ric Flair-esque heel run as champion in AEW. Yeah. And as long as he can stay healthy, I think he's got probably one of the the biggest, what's the word I'm looking for? Potential. Potential. Yeah, exactly. I think he's got some of the biggest potential there to be somebody that could actually uh, stick around and make an impact for a long time. Well, I've been on the MGF train for a long time, and I've always liked his his heel work, and I've been a believer that his in-ring work was just reflective of his character and that he could go and was choosing not to. But I think he's also to your point where, you know, he maybe could increase his size a little bit to become a little more believable, but he's also got the right personality and character traits that he's always got a bodyguard. Right. And he always has muscle. And so I think there is an open door opportunity to constantly bring in big dudes to back him up. So it's an easy way to introduce new characters who maybe they need to learn some skills on the mic and being around MJF and how excellent his mic skills are. You're going to learn a thing or two for sure. And I I think that's really kind of where the heel aspect comes in. So, you know, he's going to he's going to have people around him who are going to help him. But, you know, when you're a heel, you can lie, you can steal, you can cheat your way to victories. So you can always overcome Mm -hmm. those issues, you know, those disadvantages of size and strength through being uh, smart or or diabolical, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. And, and, you know, I I look back at it and I'm like, hey, I've got words on this podcast that I'm eating today i'm eating all that vanilla pudding all that yeah <laughs> and it's wrapped in burberry folks. and it's wrapped in burberry <laughs> you know um but like just the body of work over the last year it's grown on me and he's still super young a lot in front of him so i think he's got he's got a lot of uh potential yeah to to go down as maybe it's hard it's early to say but the potential to go down as one of the greats if he sticks it out the whole way and things go his way yeah, he needs to stay healthy and stay on top of it, stay on top of his game. You know, he he's a wrestler for the modern era because he has a great social media presence. And, you know, we've seen him at fan events flicking off children. <laughs> so he knows how to stay in character and he believes in the, in the roots of the industry with kayfabe and, and really staying in character at all times. I'd like to see him. I won't harp on it too long. I'd like to see him take that TNT championship yeah. and run, and run with it for a while because I think... You know, he would build credibility towards the belt, which maybe it doesn't need right now because it it has had Cody and, you know, and all that. So the belt has credibility. But, you know, if he has a super long run with that mid-tier belt, it would make him more believable in the long run for the big belt. For sure. 
All right, well, let's do one more here, Kyle. We'll let you wrap up the day. All righty. We are, oh, unlucky question number 13. Ooh, unlucky 13. Oh, and we get, all right, so. Oh, but it ended up being lucky question number 13. Yeah, it's going to be a lucky question 13, and it's almost going to bookend. Book us on this here because we, we started uh, <laughs> w- with this person, and we are now going to end with this person. Yeah, so question 13 is, what is your favorite submission of all time? And there's <laughs> no other move. I mean, if you've been paying attention for the past hour, Bret Hart, my man, and the sharpshooter. And that is just, ah, oh, the sharpshooter is so, mwah, it's so good. It, it's just from, and it's another move. It's kind of very similar to the frog splash for me, where like a few different people have done the sharpshooter over the right. years and made it their own. We've seen Cesaro adapt it. Natalia stole it. The Rock. The Rock did it for a bit. And yes, I picked my words carefully there. Natalia stole it. Although she's part of the family. (laughs) It was gifted. Sorry. I was just hating on Natalia. No, but yeah, The Rock did it for a bit. Everyone's kind of like used it. It's not quite figure four status. Right, right. Where like everyone's like, oh, and it's it's associated. But man, do I love the sharpshooter. Just the execution of it with the step through, you know, the you hold the legs out, opponents on their back, you pick up their legs, you do the step through with the one leg, cross the feet, turn them over, lock the legs underneath your arm and cinch back. Man, the sharpshooter, it just has that look. It has that vibe. I've been in it in my l- real life and it actually <laughs> hurts if done correctly. <laughs> it's a believable submission. Like some of them are out there are not believable at all. But when you look at the package of the sharpshooter, how it's applied, some good selling always helps, but it looks like, oh man, they are wrenching on your hip, your back, you know, there's a lot of pressure being put there, they're sitting down on it, yeah. so it's it's got all the, the tools of a great wrestling move. And, and the setup, like I said, the setup is part of it for me as well, with the step through. Yeah. Like, you know, and the different ways you can do it and apply it, we've seen... You know, somebody just knocked out on the ground and you pick up the legs. We've seen somebody jump off the top rope and you catch the feet and then instantly hook them in. That's true. It, it, it's got that weird where you can tilt up and reverse the pressure. Right. And put, <laughs> and put the pressure back on the person applying it. Well, I always think, too, about the fact that they and Brett did this, I think, you know, more often than most because he used it so much. But they had some good moments at times where, you know, the person trying to apply it would have to struggle yeah and you know they like could you get the leg in could you get the knee down could you get him crossed over and so it had some good moments of of drama in some of brett's matches where that opponent was fighting him and he really had to work to lock it in yeah maybe give an extra stomp on the gut you know exactly to drive it home yeah yeah or the inner thigh you know how you would he would like hold the leg and he would kick like the hamstring yeah. of the guy, you know, stuff like that. Uh, so there was a lot that they could do with it. Yeah, it's very versatile. And, and I imagine, you know, it, it looks complicated and intricate, but it might be one of those beginner moves, you know, because it is it's simple. Legs out, step through, cross and turn. And so it, it's one of those easy to do, hard to master moves. Oh, yeah, because it's all about the cell, man. Yeah, it's all about the cell uh, and the fluidity. Because there's some people that, you know, like we said, the struggle is there. But then there's some people, the uh, the opponent's not struggling, but they are they struggle to lock it in. Yeah. So, you know, you see guys like Cesaro, who I love Cesaro's sharpshooter. I think it's clean. It looks amazing. No one's better than Bret Hart, of course. 
But, you know, you've seen some sloppy ones over the years, <clears throat> Natalia. And The Rock probably had a had a sloppy one as well. Well, there's an infamous one that, that Brett has talked about when he was in the match with Michaels. I don't know if it was the Montreal Screwjob or if it was the Iron Man match, but one of those big, big matches that he had with Michaels, Michaels actually went to put the sharpshooter on Brett. I think maybe it was the Montreal Screwjob because Brett talks about how Michaels went to put it on wrong. Like, he didn't even know how to actually position the legs. Yeah. And so Brett had to, like, mid-move kind of change his his legs to put himself in the sharpshooter correctly so that way it would look right on camera. And so, yeah, so not everybody is the excellence of execution that, you know, can can do this move. <laughs> it's true. The best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. I mean, Brett, the hitman heart, heck yeah. So, and, and you know... We've talked about it a few times that, you know, when I was a kid, there was, you know, you get to pick, a, you get to pick a setup, a submission and a finisher. Or when you're doing a creative character in a WWE video game or a wrestling video game, you get a setup, a submission and a finisher. And every time it was my submission is going to be the sharpshooter. And that <laughs> dates back to being Bret Hart in SNES Royal Rumble, Yep. which maybe we should have mentioned that in the beginning because that game really cemented home my love for wrestling it's hard to do the sharpshooter in that game yeah oh yeah that was like one of the hardest finishers to do on anybody in that in the game because finishers in general are a little tough in in royal rumble but the submission finisher is like a whole nother thing getting the guy on the ground and everything yeah and keeping them on the ground and making sure they're knocked exactly. out long enough that they're not just gonna get up good stuff it's funny that we got to bookend with uh with bret hart related items that was not planned but that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes Right? Yeah, Google knew. I feel like Google knew all day. <laughs> they all know. They all know. Well, if you couldn't tell already, professional wrestling has been ingrained in our lives for a very long time and is definitely something we feel passionate about. We also hope that you like this new style of chapter with the question roulette as we plan to bring it back in the future around other topics from the world of geekery or maybe wrestling again since we definitely left some questions on the table. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this chapter, be sure to hit the subscribe button to get new chapters of Geek Catch-Up every two weeks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Be sure to follow the show on social media, and you can find us on Facebook and YouTube at Geek Catch-Up Podcast, or on Twitter and Instagram at Geek Catch-Up Pod. Links to all these accounts are in the show notes below and on our website, geekcatchuppodcast.com. Stay saucy, you nerds. <laughs>